Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast, the podcast dedicated to simplifying the commercial real estate industry for the masses. Each week, we sit down with industry experts to dissect the many facets of commercial real estate and extract valuable lessons you can apply to your business. Whether you're a new or seasoned business owner or investor, the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast will be your go-to resource for all your commercial real estate needs. Now, here are your hosts, Rafael Collazo and Jeff Walston. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast. I'm your host, Rafael Collazo, here with my co-host, Jeff Walston. How's it going, my friend? Going great, man. Uh, everything's going wonderful. Uh, business is picking up, which I'm grateful for, and 2022 is looking out. What about you, Rafael? How's it going over there? Good, man. Good. Uh, can't complain. Uh, we've just been busy on a, a lot of fronts. Uh, got a lot of active uh, people that I'm working with uh, on the buy side and then also working on securing a few listings as well. So it's definitely been an active uh, last few weeks. And, you know, you know, you, myself and another business partner of ours has been, have been working towards uh, setting up a, a short term uh, rental uh, ma property management business. And so we're working on that. And, yeah, it's just a very active time uh, in, in the business. So uh, it's definitely a good good time to be in the commercial real estate space. And I think going forward in 2022, it will be as well. But speaking of just a phenomenal time and great conversation, uh, we had the honor and privilege of interviewing Bo Barron. Uh, he's the CEO of Barron Commercial Group. Uh, he's also a broker, you know, developer and, you know, CCIM instructor extraordinaire. He was actually my CCIM instructor uh, back in September, as I took one uh, CCIM 102, which is one of the core courses uh, that focuses on market analysis. Uh, some of the things we talked about during this podcast episode is that we talked a little bit about his background, you know, his experience in the military and how it you know, has impacted his business for, uh, for the better long term. We also touched on, you know, his, his experience in the self-storage space and why he decided to go into self-storage in the first place. Some of the reasons that he shared were, were very insightful. And so I'm sure you guys are going to gain some value from that. And then we also talked about some some of the analysis pieces to to understanding why an opportunity may work or may not work. He alludes to the CCIM 102 course that I went through and he ultimately teaches as to, you know, the different characteristics of the course that enabled him to make a decision on a particular piece of property uh, that, that they were looking at in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. And then finally, you know, we touched on some of the value that he's uh, received from the CCIM Institute. I'm affiliated with the CCIM Institute. I have not received my designation yet, but I can tell you just from my experience of taking the courses and, and surrounding and being around the people who are CCIMs and the network, it's just such an impressive, uh, you know, organization and the individuals within it are just an extremely impressive uh, bunch. And, you know, obviously Bo is one of those individuals and he kind of shares his insights as to why he thinks the CCIM Institute is a phenomenal uh, opportunity for those individuals who are interested and really just in the commercial real estate industry. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be a broker. You can be a banker. You can be, you know, a lawyer. You, you really just have to be within the commercial real estate space and want to operate within it as well. So it was a great conversation. I always like having conversations with Bo since I met him and or, or got an opportunity to take his class in September. We've kept in touch here and there. Um, and I'm looking forward to keeping in touch in the future. Uh, Jeff, do you have anything you'd like to add? Uh, yeah. The one thing that stood out for me is Bo is uh, how crucial mindset is. Um, it's just going through his journey from when he started out when he's 18 and like how his mindset was and how it it, it detoured and, and grew uh, along his journey. And uh, I think that you guys are going to get a lot of value out of uh, how, how he went and now, now where he is and uh, I think a lot of you is actually going to uh, relate to what he, what he has to say in, in one way or another it might not be a particular situation, but how, how you got from the A to now you're at Z point of your life. So, uh, but yeah, great guy Bo is, and I can't wait for everyone to listen. Uh, another thing is we definitely appreciate all the five-star reviews. Uh, if you can take the time and, and actually do a five-star review after this podcast don't do it while driving let's be safe out there but please give us keep giving us those five-star reviews it's definitely definitely helped us uh raise our listeners and, and our reach uh more importantly and we want to reach some a, a lot of people uh in order to, to give them the gift of uh, education in the cre community so uh but Raphael, what about you yeah no i i couldn't agree more i mean we just 
greatly appreciate it. I know we say it at, at, at the beginning and end of every podcast episode, but it really is humbling to see the amount of reach and, and downloads and everything that we receive from you guys. So if you guys don't mind, like Jeff said, don't do it while driving, be a safe driver. But if you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review and provide some feedback for us in the podcast, I mean, it would be greatly appreciated. So again, thank you all so much. And so without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into the podcast. Well, welcome, Bo. Uh, great to see you this uh, fine morning. It's uh, it's one uh, interview that I've been looking forward to. So uh, really excited to, to have you on the, the podcast. Well, thanks, fellas. I uh, appreciate the invite and uh, I'm excited about talking to you today. Yeah, we appreciate you you coming on for sure. Uh, where are you actually uh, tuning in from? Is it Owensboro? It is. Yeah, I live in Owensboro, Kentucky. And uh, yeah, nice. small town. I know you guys know where that is, but for yeah. your other listeners... It's about an hour and a half west of Louisville, Kentucky, along the river, population about 100,000 people. Yeah, and it's just south of Evansville as well, mm -hmm. uh, Indiana. Yeah. So for those of you guys listening, and, and for those of you guys to provide some context to, you know, Bo, I actually, you know, he was one of my uh, professors for CCIM 102. And, you know, I, I feel like we've met briefly before then, but we really got to know each other through that class. And so, you know, I'm really excited to uh, dive into your backstory and all the things you've been doing you know, over the course of your commercial real estate career, because you do have a lot of unique insights to share. And, you know, that's, that's the whole reason we have this podcast is to try to provide as much value as possible. So one thing we typically like to do with our guests is we like to learn a little bit more about their backstory. So if you don't mind kind of sharing your, your story, I think that'd be helpful. Sure. So I grew up in a household that was commercial and residential re real estate related. My mom owned a Century 21 office I think at some point when I was a kid, she had the largest office in the state of Kentucky. Um, my dad was a commercial real estate broker and developer. Going back another generation to my granddaddy, you know, he was a home builder. I kind of grew up in that environment in this small town called Owensboro, and I wasn't interested in any of it. Um, I wasn't really interested in Owensboro much. I didn't have this vision of me living here and working here, uh, continuing on the family business, none of that. But there was this big world out there and I, and I wanted to wanted to get a, a look at it. So when I graduated high school, I went to Murray State University. And if you're not familiar with Murray State University, that's where Ja Morant, uh, the star for the Memphis Grizzlies, that's where he went to college. Um, but I went down to Murray for four years and I was a terrible college student. I mean, I was terrible. I did really well in high school, but it wasn't that difficult. I didn't have to put forth much effort. And if you ask my parents, they would describe me as a kid as the one who I spent. I did a lot of work figuring out how I could do the least amount of work and still succeed. Right. So like I'd go into like the the final exam for some class in, in high school. And I knew that if I got like an 84 and a half, I could still get an A in the class. So I did all this work to figure out how to do less work. And that really kind of characterized um, my work ethic all the way through college. Well, that bit me in the rear end in college. And I essentially wasted about four years. And I got to the end of that time and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I was very unhappy with who I was. Um, you know, I couldn't even, I wouldn't man enough to take care of myself to do the, the simple things that I needed to do. And so I considered all the men in my life who I respected the most and almost all, not, not all of them, but almost all of them had served in the military. My dad, my granddads, they were all in the army. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe they could fix me, you know, get me to a point where, where uh, I could excel at something. So I went and visited the, um, the recruiting uh, offices. And in Owensboro, they were all in a line. You know, you had the, you had the Air Force, you had the Navy, you had the Army and the, and the Marine Corps in that order. And so I started with the Air Force and I went in there and I talked to those guys and they showed me this video of boot camp, nothing against the Air Force, but I needed to get kicked in the rear end. And I was looking for the largest boot to do it. And the Air Force didn't seem like they had the biggest boot. I skipped the Navy because I didn't want to wear those uniforms. Nothing against <laughs> the Navy. Uh, it just wasn't my thing. Went in and talked to the Army because my dad and my granddads were in the Army. They told me uh, all the things that they could do for me. Like when I walked in, they were talking about 
what they could give me, offer me the benefits, all that stuff. So I was like, okay, this is pretty interesting. Then I took that information over to the Marine Corps and I walked in, I told that recruiter, I said, look, I talked to the Air Force, not interested, not wearing those Navy uniforms. Uh, the, the Army offered me all this stuff. What do you guys have for me? And the recruiter looked at me and he said, and we don't have bleep for you. I wonder if you have the medal to be in my Marine Corps. And I was like, all right, I've found my people here. And from that point on, he was pushing my buttons. He was challenging my manhood, if I had what it take, what it took, all this stuff, and uh, taught me out of the idea of going into the reserves. Because, look, when I say I wasted four years at Murray State University, I did. Like, I, I had a whole nother year before I could graduate. So I was enlisting. Uh, I was thinking, I walked in there thinking, and I'll just go reserves and, uh, and finish college. And uh, they taught me out of that. Um, you know, I was going in full time. And then we were talking about um, what I would do in the Marine Corps. The, so they grabbed the job book, which is a MOS book, Military Occupational Specialties. And we're flipping through and he's like, do you wanna be a grunt uh, infantry guy? And I was like, no, that doesn't sound very good. He's like, are you, are you mechanical? And I remember looking at my hands thinking these are the softest man hands I have ever seen. Like, there's, I've never really worked with my hands except for one summer, literally digging ditches. And uh, I was like, that's not it. Uh, my my skill set is more in the mind, the brain. And I was like, well, what do you have for like smarter people? Maybe that shouldn't have said it that way. But uh, he said, well, uh, here's the intelligence jobs. So we're looking at these and I'm scrolling down through here and and I see this one, I didn't know what it was, but it had the largest signing bonus. And I remember saying, man, what's this cryptologic warfare linguist? And uh, he, he looks at me and he's like, forget it. You're not smart enough to do that, which really made me mad. So uh, I was like, is there a test? Give me the test. And, and so they did. I had to go to Louisville to the MEP station to take this defense language aptitude battery test, which is the weirdest test ever. And your brain either works that way or it doesn't. Turns out mine did. I passed the test and I ended up being a linguist in the Marine Corps. I'm not good at languages and I don't like them. But, you know, the recruiter challenged me. And uh, so I ended up being a linguist in the Marine Corps. You get to the language school, uh, Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California, which is a beautiful place. And they give you four options. Marine Corps says, look, you can have uh, one of four languages. It's Korean, Russian, Arabic, or Spanish. Rank them on what you'd like. Well, that's a fallacy. They don't really care what you like. That's more of an appeasement strategy, in my opinion. Uh, it's all about the needs of the Marine Corps. And so I asked for Spanish, please, because it was a six month school when you were out of there. Russian was a year long school and then Korean and Arabic were a year and a half. And so I ranked them in that order, Spanish, Russian, Arabic, Korean, and they gave me Arabic. So my next it took me two years to get my clearance and get out of that school. I'm there in Monterey, California, studying the hardest school I've ever been to. And I went into the Marine Corps to get out of, get out of school. And they sent Lord. me right back to it. So, um, and then I spent three years uh, in, in Augusta, Georgia, uh, doing the job. We essentially stole communications from the bad guys and, and uh, analyzed and interpreted that stuff. So it was a pretty interesting gig in the Marine Corps. Uh, but I'll tell you, Arabic as a language, and I, I don't remember hardly any of it anymore. I've been out close to 20 years now, but it's not that helpful in Owensboro, Kentucky, as it turns out. Uh, I still wish I could have had Spanish, but uh, that was my Marine Corps career. The day I got out, I started working with my dad in the commercial real estate business the next day. That was in 2004. The first thing he did was put me in a CCIM introduction. Uh, I forget what they call it now, but it was like the introductory course. I didn't have a license. I didn't have a clue about anything. And, and I was in that. And a condition of my employment was that I had to get my CCIM designation within like the first five years or something like that. My dad's a CCIM. And my mom and my grandfather both took CCIM classes. Um, but that really kind of launched my career. 
um, just learning from my dad those first couple of years and uh, taking those CCIM courses kind of made me dangerous, made me valuable to people, gave me a lot of confidence. Um, and so I did that, did brokerage with my dad for about eight years. Then I went to work for SVN. We had franchised with Sperry Van Ness at the time, you know, SVN now. Um, so I was familiar, you know, we were franchisee and, and they made me an offer to become the vice president of organizational development, which I did for a year. Um, didn't love that job. I was gone all the time. At, at one point at the end of that year, my wife asked me uh, if I might consider doing something else. She was starting to feel like a single mom. Um, so I left SVN after a year and went to work uh, with a good buddy of mine who had started a food safety technology company here in town. Did that for a couple of years, kind of helping him get that off the ground. Turns out I love to help people build things. Um, and then I left that job after a couple of years and went to work as the COO of the Mosmo Group. And I had, uh, when Rod Santomosmo started the Mosmo Group, I'd hired him to be my coach. And then after a couple of years, he asked me to become one of his coaches um, for the Mosmo Group. And I coached commercial real estate brokers for about the next seven years and uh, ended up being the COO of the company. Did that with Rod for three years. And then left at the end of 2018 to come uh, back home. Uh, I say that figuratively speaking, I never left Owensboro, but, um, uh, and, and I took over the family business. So since 2018, I've been back in this role uh, of more of a broker, uh, now an owner. We, we own a portfolio of, of properties, commercial properties that we own and manage. Uh, we have a self-storage business where we have a, a handful of facilities. And, uh, and we have a brokerage company. So what I do now is I help uh, our producers succeed. Uh, I get to coach them, which I love, um, and help them be successful in the brokerage business. And then we do some development, uh, done a couple syndication deals recently, just closed on one last week. Um, and that's kind of what, that's kind of what our, that's kind of what my background uh, is. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. And, and, and thank you for your service again. I mean, it, it, it's truly, you know, great to see, you know, uh, you know, we have, especially in the commercial real estate industry, I feel like we do have, uh, you know, a strong support for the military. And obviously we, we appreciate what you've done uh, for the Marine Corps and really the, the country. And then also it's great to hear your, your insights as to why you decided to jump into it, uh, you know, in, in the Marine Corps and then ultimately go back yeah. to the family business because, you know, I'd imagine when you're 18, like you said, you, that what you had no desire at all to get in the, in the, in the business, the real estate business. And after, you know, thinking about it, you know, after however many years you were away from it, you realized that it can be a good opportunity. And it, it, it seems like you've, you've, you're glad you, you made the decision to eventually come back. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, the way that played out was I ended up going to boot camp, and I told my dad when I left for boot camp, I was like, I'm going to be the best Marine they've ever seen on Paris Island. And I wrote him a letter about two weeks in and I was like, look, I know what I told you, but I just, <laughs> no I just want to survive this place. Yeah. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. um, but it was the first time I'd ever been exposed to a culture of absolute excellence. Like in the Marine Corps, uh, my, my method of figuring out, like doing all the work to figure out the least amount of work I can do, like that doesn't cut it there. Like the only thing that's okay is excellent. Uh, effort and results. And I loved it. I fell in love uh, with that. And uh, it served me well. It's funny when people thank me for my service, like I have a, a great amount of satisfaction and pride that I served. But and the reality is, is I went in to the service for what I was going to get out of it. It was a very selfish decision. Um, so I appreciate it when people thank me, but I got way more out of it than the country or the Marine Corps ever got out of me. Uh, yeah, but but I will even say this, yeah. and you know, I I have a history of military service in my in my family, my grandfather, my father, and everything else. And you know, I, I've heard similar stories to them. Is that you know, a lot of people that join, they 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 join for a particular reason, whether it's to get you know out of the current situation they're in, or maybe they had a history of of people serving, and they just feel like it's a natural progression. But every single person that I've talked to that served 
you know, that, that I respect highly has told me the, the amount of value they got from their experiences in the military is just un, unfathomable. And it's really impacted them and their, and who they be, have become as a person. And so, you know, I definitely don't want you to sell yourself short because again, it's one of those things that, you know, yeah, you, when you first got in the military, you know, that may have been the reason why, but again, the, the, the service that you've provided is, 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 is nothing to be, you know, um, it's definitely appreciated. So sure. No, I, I get that. that yeah. The funny thing was, is in boot camp, um, I got a tremendous amount of clarity. Mm-hmm. Like I went in not knowing who I wanted to be or what I wanted to do or any of that. Mm-hmm. About six, seven weeks in, all of a sudden, uh, the Lord gave me a tremendous amount of clarity. And I realized uh, nothing more important uh, on this planet, at least, than family. Uh, I knew I wanted to go home and work with my dad when I got out. Uh, I realized I was in love with the woman who is now my wife. Had to write her this frantic letter, you know, because uh, we had essentially broken up when I'd gone to boot camp. So, like, I got clarity on all these things, and uh, you know, I was I was ready to move on with my life at that point. I still got to give the next five years uh, to the core, which I don't regret for a second, um, but. Yeah, it's funny how uh, how you gain clarity sometimes in in uh, stressful situations. Oh yeah. Hey, I w- I have to say it too. I mean, I appreciate your service regardless of where you fell and 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 how you helped because a linguist, like you said, I mean, you're uh you're listening in and you're talking, you know, hearing what the bad guys are trying to plan. So that's a huge huge help in my in my mind. So not everyone can do that, and I appreciate it. So that being said, I kind of, with your military experience, I'm just wondering how exactly has that actually helped you in your commercial real estate career? Well, in a bunch of ways, um, like I mentioned before, just the idea that like excellence is the only thing that's okay. Uh, And really, like, and you guys realize this, especially on the brokerage side, you don't have a lot of control over the results. You don't. That's the most frustrating thing to me about brokerage in the first place is you can't uh, go all like Don Corleone and tell somebody that either their signature or their brains are going to be on that contract. Like we can't do that. We can't force people to sign things. It's all about influence and effort. So excellence in the effort that we put into the business, um, that that's been a a huge thing uh, for the success of our company. I had a dad who always did that, you know. Uh, I could have just emulated him and skipped the Marine Corps. You know, um, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for how things played out for sure. But, um, you know, just giving excellent effort and just sort of the, the trusting that the results are going to come. That's kind of why I like development and, and being a syndicator a little bit better. You have a lot more control. You're the one signing contracts. You're the one deciding go, no go, uh, Raphael, you'll understand kind of running through the strategic analysis model and all those four feasibility steps that we talked about in 102. Like as a developer and a syndicator, I get to make that call as opposed to being the broker influencing and providing excellent service and information for the person who's doing that. Um, the other thing was, and the Marine Corps is incredibly systematic. They have a SOP or a standing operating procedure for everything. And, and even down to tying your shoes, it's left over right. Like that's the right way to tie your shoes. And I always thought, man, why, why do they care about my laces on my boots? Why do they care? The reason they care is they don't want you to have to think about anything that's not important. They want to systematize everything so that when the crap hits the fan, when you're in actual combat situation, you're free to react based on your training and you don't have to make all these little decisions. So I still, my wife was making fun of me about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. I got a new pair of shoes. We got out into the car. I relaced them left over right because the manufacturer did it wrong, you know? Um, but it's just, you know, if you systematize things, it takes all the brain damage out of making all these decisions and it frees up your bandwidth to react to the need of the moment or be proactive in what you're trying to accomplish. So we've systematized our business. Like what happens um, when you're going to try to find and win more business, the prospecting part of the business? Well, we've systematized it. We create campaigns and we just work the system. If we're not getting the results that we want, 
then we tweak the system uh, one thing at a time so we see if there's an impact on the results or not. Um, you know, when we get a new listing, what's the process of like, what do we do? We don't have to think about it and we don't have to decide, we just execute. So that makes us very efficient, fast, effective in those things. So we've just systematized the business. The other thing about just being in the service is I will never be as cold as I was uh, when I was in the service. I'll never be as tired. I'll never be in as much stress. Um, I'll, I'll, ne I'll never have to do things as hard as I went through back then. Therefore, I have this sense of confidence that I can pretty much handle whatever's thrown at me. Now, that may or may not be true or not. Um, but man, just having gone through that, there's some Ronald Reagan quote that I don't remember word for word, but I always loved it. It's like, you know, a lot of men wonder what they have. A lot of men wonder if they have what it takes. Uh, Marines don't have to wonder or so, something along those lines. That's been true in my life since I got out. Like I just approach things um, with a sense of confidence, um, hopefully never arrogance, but just knowing that, man, we can pull these things off. We can do it. There's probably a bunch of other things. Oh, here's the other thing that I remember. I remember when I was in the service, uh, I tended to get promoted faster than my peers. Now, this was not because I was better at anything or I had some sort of innate higher character or anything like that. It's that the promotions are systematic, all right? You do X, Y, and Z, and, and you qualify for promotion, at least at the beginning, especially. And my peers would not do the extra stuff that would move them to the top of the line or the front of the line. I did all those extra things that would move me to the front of the line. And I always remember looking around thinking, why are these other guys not taking these other courses that take like an hour and give you promotion points? Or why are they not doing this extra stuff? And so it's the attention to detail to the little things that can really separate brokers from their competition. Uh, and just, you know, doing the little things to serve your clients that, that can, you know, move you to the head of the line, so to speak. Uh, so off the top of my head, those are some things that have really benefited me in, in our business uh, that I learned in the Marine Corps. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and, and the systemization piece is, is so big. I mean, you know, I forgot who said this, but it was like if under pressure, you rise, you don't rise to the occasion per se, you fall to the level of your training. So yeah. that's why like you yeah. continually practice things, right? Like if, 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 if you didn't, train and practice in, 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 a, in a game setting. Let's just take, you know, sports, for example. Like, why do you think these people train on a regular basis over and oh, over yeah. and over again, taking a thousand shots in this particular scenario so that when the pressure is on, you don't think it just happens, right? And, yeah. and, and the external forces that can potentially derail you don't affect you because you're literally just, it's all muscle memory at that point. So I think, you know, that's, that's key in any business, but in particular in the commercial real estate business where there's so many different moving parts that you need to factor in. So now, obviously I'm a UK fan. I'm wearing a UK shirt. My parents went there. My son goes there. Um, I'm a big UK fan, which means yeah. I don't like North Carolina at all. Okay. Uh, do you remember when Villanova beat North Carolina in the national championship? It might have been like yeah. 2017 and it yeah. was tied. They hit that last second three won the national championship. I don't care a thing about Villanova. I just love that North Carolina lost that one, right? They interviewed Jay Wright after that game, who's a coach at Villanova. And he essentially said the same thing. He said, we practice that play every day, all season. That play that they won the championship. And it goes to your point, that quote, I, I love that quote. That's actually my favorite quote. You don't rise to the occasion, you fall to the level of preparation. And I've researched who wrote that quote or who said it first. And the only thing I can find is that it was uh, uh, some anonymous Navy SEAL. Who, who knows who actually said it, but I love it. But that's what Villanova did. When the stakes were the highest, not, not just a ball game, not just a nationally televised ball game, not just uh, a Final Four game. This was the national championship. For most of those players, the highest stakes they'll ever have in their career. And when it was all on the line, they rose to the level of their preparation and they nailed it. They hit that shot, won the national championship. Um, now, I generally don't have stakes like that in my business where everything's on the line in one moment. You have to come through. Yeah. But man, when you systematize things, 
even on a prospecting call, if you know exactly what you're going to say when somebody answers the call, that's the only thing you actually know you're going to get to say is your opening statement on a prospecting call. Or if you get the voicemail and I get, I own some property, so I get prospected on. I have brokers calling me. I had one call me yesterday wanting to buy one of our self-storage facilities. And most of these calls are horrendous. They don't nail the obvious thing. If I answer the phone, they know they're just going to get, I might hang up after their opening statement or they might earn the rest of the call, but they don't nail the obvious. And so we try to nail those obvious things. Um, and it's the systems that really allow you to, to, to do that. Yeah, definitely. No, I couldn't agree. Go ahead. The kind of quote that stands out for me is like, uh, I, th I think I can't remember who said it, but amateurs train until they get it right and professionals train until they can't get it wrong. Mm -hmm. yeah. That makes a difference. No, it's, just, so. it's just a level of, of preparation yeah. and training that you pursue. And, and it takes time. It's an iterative process. And I'm sure you're still updating and modifying all your processes yeah. over time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's never it's a never ending continuous improvement uh, pr uh, play. Uh, yeah, but sure. Yeah, you, you guys uh, have just nailed my favorite two quotes. In fact, like about six times a year, I go uh, to 10x in Richmond, Virginia, and I train their new salespeople on how to think like and sell to brokers, guys like us. Right. Uh, I try to just take them inside the broker's brain and how they can. And I literally uh, you, those are the two quotes that I use. Amateurs practice until they get it right. Professionals practice until they can't get it wrong. And then uh, the other one you were talking about, it's like you guys have been hiding in the back of the room yes. kind of thing. But we, we, uh, we bugged, we bugged everything. So we, your we quote uh, game you know, is strong fellas. There, there yeah. you go. Across so, the board. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to ask you, and, and again, commercial real estate is such a broad industry. I mean, you could literally specialize in a variety of different, you know, property types. You know, I happen to specialize a lot more on the retail side as as of late, and so that's just been kind of my specialization over the last year or so. You chose the self storage side of things. Why did you choose uh, self storage? And I I know you obviously operate as a as a, in the brokerage. You guys do a lot of different things, but you know, I, I'd like to kind of dive in a little bit more on the self storage piece, if you don't mind. Well, in uh, my dad was a home builder, and he was the son of a home builder. Well, you guys don't remember, and I barely remember, but around 1980, the interest rates spiked. Jimmy Carter was the president, uh, huge inflation. As a matter of fact, it was the last time we saw inflation like we're seeing today. Yeah. Interest rates got up into the high teens, tipping 20%. Nobody was buying homes. And my dad had these crews, and they were building 100 homes a year, um, and all of a sudden, nobody's buying. So he's got a problem. And he had heard someone speak at one of their national home building conventions about self-storage. Yeah, that, that kind of brings me to another question that I have is, is actually, so when you're actually looking for opportunities, development opportunities in self-storage, what are some like aspects of that that and are characteristics that you guys use to like analyze those opportunities? Uh, okay. Well, I'll give you a couple of examples. Sure. Uh, I care about job growth. Like when I look at a market, when I, I start with the market first, I care about job growth. And, and uh, Raphael, I'll tell you from our 102 class, uh, that's what the whole class was about, essentially economic-based analysis. And we use that to analyze markets. So uh, Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Uh, let's see, Jeffrey, are you in Louisville as well? Okay, yep. so what, 45 minutes south of you guys? Yes. When, when Raphael was in our class last September in Louisville, that week Ford announced that they were building that new battery plant uh, right outside Elizabethtown, Kentucky. And in five years, they're gonna create 5,000 new jobs there. Huge, huge announcement. And Ford, thank you Ford for making that announcement while we're in the class, because we're teaching in that class how to take job announcements like that and actually calculate demand. So instead of it being theoretical, we used the Ford example. And, and here's how that works. Not, I'll do this quickly, not to get too technical, but if you have 5,000 jobs like that, those 5,000 jobs, almost all of them, they're making batteries for these new electronic vehicles. They're going to export those batteries out to the world. And in return, new dollar bills are going to come into Elizabethtown, Kentucky. 
right? Those are called basic jobs. They export stuff outside the market. They bring new dollar bills in. Basic jobs have a multiplier effect or a ripple effect, and they throw off non-basic jobs. Basically, you and I are, operate in the non-basic job space. Uh, what I do is help people in Owensboro, Kentucky, buy, sell, rent, whatever. Uh, that's what our company does. Self-storage, we provide a service. We're not bringing new dollar bills into Owensboro. We're basically circulating the ones that are already here. That's a non-basic job. So every basic job has a multiplier effect. When Elizabethtown, I don't remember what the number is, but let's just say it was five. That's called an economic-based multiplier, an EBM of five. So those 5,000 jobs, let's just assume they're all basic, have an EBM of five. All of a sudden, that's 25,000 new jobs that are going to be created in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. That's Hardin County, Kentucky, population 113,000. And all of a sudden, they're going to have 25,000 I don't remember what the actual numbers are, but it's to this scale, 25,000 new jobs. Well, those people that are going to come fill those jobs, they bring their families with them. And so let's just assume that the population to employment ratio, which is that next ratio, PER, is two and a half. Now those 25,000 jobs, you multiply that by two and a half, and what's that, 60,000 new people? Yeah, just over, there's only 113,000 people there now, and there's going to be 60,000 new people there. Now, let's just say uh, half of those people are going to commute from Louisville, which is possible. They might not all move to Hardin, Hardin County, yeah. Kentucky. That's 30,000 new people. That's population growth of almost 30% in the next five years for Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Now, we can figure out how many more houses they're going to need. We can figure out how many more apartments they can need. We can figure out how much more self-storage they're going to need. We can figure out how much more retail, how much more office, how much industrial they're going to need based on that new job. So we can quantify demand. So I've been looking at Elizabethtown uh, for self-storage to get back to your question. And we found a lot. We found, and I'm thinking, okay, Elizabethtown, all their product of self-storage is the traditional single story. They do have some climate control, but they don't, most of their product has some age on it. There's nothing new. There's none of those class A, multi-story, all climate control facilities. I was like, we'll introduce that to Elizabethtown. So we found a hard lighted corner that was a 7-Eleven lot. Uh, it was actually, I think a Speedway lot, but 7-Eleven and Speedway just merged. So there's all this excess great locations out there. And this was one of them. They, all of a sudden they put it on the market. I put an LOI on it, uh, was, was about to put it under contract because I knew the demand. I know the demand is going to be there in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. But Raphael, what are our four feasibility tests? Do you remember what they are for the strategic analysis model? Yeah, so it's governmental. There's... Uh, so, uh, uh, well, yeah, legal and... Legal, legal and... Legal and yeah, there's legal. There was, um, oh gosh, there's four total. I know. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Uh, site, something site, site related. Um, oh gosh. Competitive analysis. Competitive analysis. That's true. And then the financial feasibility, right? Yeah. Financial analysis. So mm -hmm. for me to move forward, it's got to pass these four tests. So zoning, will they let me do it? Um, the, the legal yeah. aspect of this, it was already zoned correctly. I don't even have to rezone the thing. It's beautiful. Um, uh, site, uh, it's flat. It's on a hard lighted corner. It's got great visibility and good access. Okay, great. I don't have to do much to it. I'm gonna have to fell some trees, but that's it. Um, competitive analysis. Competitive analysis uh, says everything, I'm gonna introduce a new level of product, a class A product that they haven't seen before. I can probably get higher rents. Um, so, uh, I, I like my competition. I even find out during that, that right across the street, it's actually across an alley. There's a traditional self-storage that's um, going to be built. They're going to make it to market before me, but I don't care. It's the old product and it will create a little bit of synergy and there's plenty of demand that's going to be there. So that doesn't bother me at all. It kind of reinforces the fact that I've got a superior site uh, than what's next door because I'm on the corner. They're behind me. Uh, Great. Then I do the financial feasibility part of this. And you know what I find? 
if I build this thing, I can expect a 1% internal rate of return because the rents are so low. Mm. It was like a gut punch, man. I was so excited <laughs> about this lot. Um, so I went home and I talked to my wife and I said, look, if we build this thing and we can get 20 to 30% higher rents than the market, which is actually possible with a new product type and a shiny new facility, something they haven't seen before, something that's nicer, all that stuff, that's possible. And uh, the rents will definitely be there five years from now, no question. Um, but we can probably make some money in the first couple of years. And I'm only going to need to borrow about $4 million and probably raise $3 million in equity from a group of investors. Like, how do you feel about me signing on a $4 million loan when it might work? Maybe. She was like, maybe. No, that doesn't sound too good. So we let that lot go, which kind of stinks. Um, but we may go back and try to find something with four to five acres and do more of a traditional um, layout that would absolutely work there. Um, the cost is a lot less for building that type of facility and the rents would justify that. So we're kind of back in the spot where Elizabethtown and the jobs are coming, the demand's gonna be there. Uh, we just gotta financially come up with a model that's gonna work there or wait till the rents are there and go pay more for a lot because they're, it's gonna cost more later on. So as an example, that's Elizabethtown. Um, we like other markets uh, like Bowling Green. I'm going to Bowling Green, Kentucky tomorrow. They just April got an announcement, same type of plant. It's gonna be 2000 jobs, um, basically all basic jobs, same multiplier effects are gonna happen. They're gonna need like another 8,000 rental units, housing units in Bowling Green. Uh, there's gonna be a ton of demand for self-storage and all that other stuff. So I yeah. pay a lot of attention to the job announcements, especially the big ones. Uh, or if you can look at a market and say, look, here's five, six, seven companies that are all gonna be adding 100, 200 jobs. Well, that all adds up. And you can quantify the future demand using economic base analysis and shift share analysis, some of the things we teach in, in uh, CI 102. And uh, I mean, you can make a lot of money, but here's the beautiful thing. Um, those four feasibility tests save, saved me from making a mistake. Um, you know, if I'm going to take other people's money in a group investment, pair that with some debt that I'm going to sign on personally and move forward, like I want to know that I don't have to wait five years to capture that demand. Like things need to happen. Like it won't work with yeah. that model. Uh, yeah. If I had $5 million sitting in a bank somewhere. Um, where I could just put my own money in and I could be patient and wait for it, then, um, then that might be different. Probably still wouldn't do it, but uh, yeah. And it's all about the jobs to answer your question. Yeah. Sense and 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 yeah. access to a lot of this information. I mean, one thing that I was very impressed by, you know, through the through the the course, obviously, is is the structure it provides to the thought the 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 process of determining whether or not a, this is a feasible opportunity. You know, obviously, you talk about those four factors that you, you come that come into play, and then also, you know, access to the site to do business, a platform which is just so powerful. I mean, I was digging through that thing throughout the week, and I was just like, I can't believe that you know all this information is curated in one area. And obviously, it's you have to you have to learn how to navigate it to be able to pull oh, yeah. the right reports, and then you have to interpret what you're looking at as far as the data is concerned. But once you get a handle on it, I mean, you could pull some pretty comprehensive data to be able to determine whether or not. You know, if you're looking at a retail opportunity, you know, how long is it going to take you to, to get, you know, the, the, from the absorption standpoint, you know, what, what's the gap in demand for the area like you were talking about? So, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty impressive. And, and obviously, you know, you, you use what you learn, which is, um, is, is pretty awesome. Well, the beautiful thing about all that economic based analysis and what we teach in 102 is it gives you the system and the framework. Mm -hmm which is mm -hmm. what I crave in our business. It's what we try to set up and you know, what we were talking about before, just the systems and processes. Um, and I can go in and analyze a market and I can make a decision, hey, let's move forward or let's not. Um, and I don't have to wonder if I'm forgetting something and I don't have to recreate the wheel. Uh, I can just hone my analytical skills and continue to better 
utilize the tools that we have available to us, make really good decisions, even if that decision is no, which it was in Elizabethtown. Uh, and it's still, and I hate that it was a no. I really liked that site. But yeah, man, you can't, wow. you can't let your emotions rule, rule you into making a bad decision and, and costing yourself and, and potentially other people um, wealth in the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Remove, removing the emotion from it. And, and again, it, like you said, it's hard, right? We're humans. Uh, and, and everyone yeah. says, you know, one of the things we often hear from our guests is that, you know, residential is a lot more emotional than commercial. It's like, yeah, it, it can be, but really the emotion shifted in a different direction. Like, you know, you're still going to encounter emotion because you're making a financial decision. And anytime there's a financial decision involved, there's going to be something inside of you that, that stokes up emotion. So, you know, it's kind of an, a, a poor comparison a lot of times when people say that, because in reality, it's just a different type, you know, so maybe it's, you know, ego, maybe it's anger, et cetera, but it's a different type of emotion oh, yeah. that comes into play. Yeah. I don't believe for a second that people make rational decisions ever. Mm -hmm. They're always in some level emotional, mm -hmm. you know, uh, last, yeah, the last deciding factor is the emotions in my opinion. And just in commercial, uh, you have the analytics first and you get to look at that more than you would residential. So I think that's why the, the emotion and residential is higher because you're on that point and that factor of your decision longer than you would be on com commercial. In my opinion, I think that's why people say it's that it's more emotion. Yeah. yeah. I could see that. Yeah. I think they're stuck on their emotions longer for a longer period. So, Look, time, so emotions are real and they're powerful. Yeah. But my mentor used to say they dropped out of school in the third grade. Like they're not smart. Sometimes they line up with logic and smarts and oftentimes they don't. And uh, I think a, 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 a mark of maturity is someone who can pay attention to their emotions, not ignore them because um, yeah. they're a data point, but they can see if it lines up with with good reason or not, and then choose the right path and not be ruled by their emotions. I think that's a mark of maturity. A lot of people struggle with that, uh, including me sometimes. Uh, but to your point, commercial real estate tends to lean more towards reason. But man, to, to think for a second that your emotions don't play a role in any of that yeah. is a complete fallacy in my opinion. Mm -hmm. yeah. So. yeah, you're right. So, so one thing we, we've been touching on, you know, the, the, the CCIM curriculum that you've been mentioning, you know, you've been affiliated with them for many years and you've been, you're a professor as well with the Institute and you get to travel across the country teaching the curriculum in particular uh, CCIM 102. One thing I wanted to ask you was how's your affiliation with the CCIM Institute kind of helped or, or, or impacted your business? Well, I mentioned before that it gave me a lot of confidence right off the bat because I was taking the courses. I didn't have the experience but I started learning uh, the knowledge of commercial real estate right away. It also introduced me, like I remember when I took, I don't know if you had this experience, Raphael, um, when you started taking the course, but my first two instructors were Bill Moss and Bill Canty. Uh, Bill Canty has is, is passed away. Bill Moss is still an instructor. They taught my, 102, uh, my 101 course in St. Louis. And I remember watching those guys wax poetic about the beauties of financial analysis and I was, and I was sitting there thinking, man, I want to be one of these guys when I grow up. Like these guys are awesome, you know. Just the way they could communicate in the first place, the information that they knew, the success they had, like it gave me something to shoot for, just being exposed. And that's not even to mention uh, the network you create in these courses, meeting the other students. Uh, so it's been a. Um, you know, the information is great. The learning, um, I, I was telling my, my kids last night at dinner, like, I just crave learning. I love it. Um, and once you get interested in something, you know, learning is one of my favorite things to do. And, and the CCIM had all kinds of great information. So I was just soaking it up. Um, but then implementing that to be uh, to serve my clients better, to make better investment decisions for myself on the development side. It's so applicable to all that things, you know, to all those things. And I had somebody call me today. Uh, he said, hey, do you know, uh, you know, a good broker in, in such and such a market? And I was like, yeah, I do. 
And if I didn't, I could find one just like that. Um, and, and being in a little place like Owensboro, Kentucky, you know, we're a real city, 100,000, but like we're not a big place. We're surrounded by farmland. None of the nationals have offices here. So we've gotten a tremendous amount of business over the years from the CBREs, from the JLLs. We're working with both of them right now. With NAI, we're working with them right now uh, because they don't want to come here. So they look up and who are the CCIMs in Western Kentucky and they find us. Like there's literally three CCIMs in Owensboro, Kentucky, me, my dad, and my uncle. So it, it's been a huge advantage in that, in that way. So it gives us access to a network and it gives us credibility. Uh, when, when somebody needs something in Western Kentucky, we often get the call uh, just because of those letters after our names, you know. No, no, it makes, it makes a huge impact. And, and you kind of alluded to it at the beginning regarding the, the confidence factor. I mean, anytime you're dealing with, you know, well, this is one thing that I, you know, coming into the industry brand new a few years ago, you know, you're often dealing with people who are, you know, advanced in their careers and in some capacity where they've, they've run business for a long period of time, or maybe they've, they're investors themselves and have owned property for a long period of time. Like it's a different caliber of individual that you are trying to service. And so getting an understanding of how they think, or at least how they should think about their real estate decisions really gives you that confidence to then, you know, approach them from a prospecting standpoint, or really even with your existing clients to provide an additional level of service to be able to better serve them. And then also on the development front, like you said, I mean, I know a lot of people who are in the brokerage side, but their aspirations is to get into the development side. It's like, well, what better training ground than to be able to learn this curriculum and then apply it to your existing clients who are actively being a developer. And then once you start generating capital to a point where you can now do it yourself, like you, you've already had the, the opportunity to be able to learn from some of the best in the business and in, in CCIM. I mean, similar to you, the, the instructors that I've had are just extremely impressive individuals who have done, you know, at, I mean, uh, absurd things in their, in their own right over the course of their career. And, yeah. you know, I don't know, it's just been, it, I, I, I can't, I couldn't speak more highly of the Institute and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting the, the designation here shortly. So. And, and imagine like for me, okay, mm -hmm. I get to be an instructor now, which I love to do. Uh, but I get to teach with guys like Mark Seipert, who have, who was a guest on your show, I think shortly after we had the class. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I get to learn from him a week at a time, every time I get to teach with him and, uh, and talk about somebody that really knows their stuff. I mean, the learning is just amplified once you get to be an instructor. Um, so I, it's, it's been a, a huge factor in my career. Um, I, I'm, I'm in love with it. Yeah. Oh, I just wanted to start saying, as we start rounding out, thank you for coming on. We really, really do appreciate your time for coming on your expertise uh, and your story. I really enjoyed your listening to your story. Uh, and the first question that we normally ask is Raphael and I are both voracious readers ourselves. And so is a lot of our, listeners. So uh, one of the questions is, what is the one of the most impactful books that you've ever read? And it doesn't have to pertain to commercial real estate. It could be for any point in your life, maybe it changed the trajectory uh, for you in your life. So, well, before I answer that question, let me just say that Audible has changed my life. Yeah. All right. I listened to 147 books in 2021. Like I can't get enough. I love it. Driving, um, whatever. I, I, love consuming uh, new information. Uh, so I've, I've got a couple for you, but I will say this, most impactful book I've ever read is the Bible, easy. Uh, you wanna learn about leadership, there's nothing better. Uh, you wanna learn about truth or how to uh, connect and communicate and serve people, like it's all there. Uh, so with that said, here are a couple others that, that I would suggest. Um, Extreme Ownership by uh, Jocko Willett and Leif Babin, their um, former Navy SEALs. That's a great book, especially uh, if you want to learn how to um, and really just take responsibility for yourself and to excel, especially if you run a company um, or you treat your business as if you're the CEO of your company. It's a great book. Um, I've read it a couple of times. Um, Another one is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I'm sure somebody's probably brought that one up before. Um, 
best book on negotiation I've ever read. And it is squarely in, in the camp of people don't make rational decisions. And it's, it's a negotiating book from that angle, from an FBI hostage negotiator. And it's fantastic. I've read that book a couple of times too. And he even touches on real estate uh, in the book a little bit. Um, and then the third book, I bet uh, Mark Seipert uh, suggested when he was on here, but it's the new geography of jobs. Like for commercial real estate, if you really start to analyze markets based on job growth, that book um, is fantastic. Uh, Mark suggested it really for the first time I heard about that book was uh, during your class in September, uh, Raphael. Mm-hmm. And I've read it twice since then. It's a great companion to what we teach in 102. But that's a, that's a really, really good book. Awesome. And you think, man, I'm not going to read a book about jobs. How boring could that be? It is not. Yeah. Um, not at all. But yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned Audible. I mean, it's game changing, especially because you can literally just be going down the street. I know we have a lunch meeting here in, in the next however long, and we're just going to go down the street as I'm going to the, the meeting, 20 minutes of me just listening to the Audible book. And, you know, oh, we yeah. do it. We do it at 1.5 speed, or at least I do. And I so do that too. amplifies the the, yeah. the time you get to listen to it, because I think you could listen up to two at times, if not more, and still retain the information. So uh great ha- hack but both those books that you referenced and then also the new geography of jobs uh, mark did recommend it i, I have it on the, the yeah. list i just need to i need to get to it so i'm planning to do that here shortly and it's on audible man yeah. just press play yep that's awesome well l- like like jeff said you know we're, we're just really honored and glad we were able to get this uh you know recording squared away because i i really did gain a lot of value from uh, the insights that you provided on the podcast uh one thing we like to do at the end of the podcast is we like to ask our guests to contribute to something that we call the commercial real estate treasure chest it's a repository of resources that we make available to our audience and usually we, we provide you know helpful pdfs excel sheets really anything digital that you think would be of value to the audience and so i wanted to give you the opportunity to share uh what you're willing to contribute today Sure. So a uh, number of years ago, I wrote an ebook called The Beginner's Guide to Prospecting. And it is a systematic approach to how to create a prospecting campaign to go find and win the business that you want. Um, and it's a little bit dated at this point. Like if you see, if you download it and you see my picture on there, I'm thinner and clean shaven and stuff, but it's literally the same system we use today. We use a uh, maybe a little bit more evolved version of it today, but that's what we're doing the rest of the afternoon. Uh, that's what we were doing yesterday afternoon, just going back to the bullpen in the back of the office and, and making calls and going after the business that we want. And so I'm happy to uh, give you guys that PDF that they can download from, from the treasure chest and, uh, and hopefully that'll be valuable to some people. Well, yeah, I, I could definitely see the value in that for sure. I'm, I'm definitely going to read it. Soon, as soon as we get it. So <laughs> can't wait. And I know other people are going to want to reach out to you, Bo. Um, I know that you have a lot of contacts in CCIM and everything else, but our listeners may not be a part of that organization or not, but they really want to reach out to you, maybe about CCIM or possibly future deals. Uh, how can, how, how do you want them to actually contact you and through email or phone or however. So, yeah, sure. Well, uh, easiest way to find us is at baroncommercial.com. It's B-A-R-R-O-N commercial.com. You can get our information there. Uh, my email is bo at wgbaron.com. Uh, and so you're welcome to reach out. You can get our number off the website. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and, and Twitter and those places. Don't spend much time on Facebook. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to happy to connect with your listeners and, and, uh, always, uh, always love growing the network and, and great satisfaction and providing value and helping people out. So, uh, yeah, don't hesitate to reach out if you'd like to. Awesome. And, and I would encourage you guys to reach out to Bo. He really is a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, since we've, we've connected through the CCIM Institute, I'm really looking forward to keeping in touch and, you know, uh, seeing your your journey evolve over over time as well. And we'll also include those in the description. So if you guys are watching this on YouTube, we'll include all the the, the links that he referenced in the email and everything else in the description below. And if you guys are listening to us in a podcast format, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera, it'll also be in the description as well. So 
Again, we want to thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we greatly appreciate all the support. We've seen a significant uptick in our downloads as a result of you guys leaving five-star reviews. So if you guys don't mind stopping by uh, Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review, it really means the world to us. Along with that, if you guys are watching this on YouTube, we would greatly appreciate it if you can like and subscribe. It really helps with the YouTube algorithm and ensures more and more people can hear this message and then learn about the many facets of commercial real estate. So again, thank you all so much for stopping by and we'll see you all next time.